Well, Jill and I, thank you for another opportunity of a Sunday with you. Yesterday morning at breakfast, I took the men to Matthew 16. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 9. Matthew 16, of course, that confession of faith by Peter on behalf of the crew. <clears throat> and then Jesus building his church not only out of that confession, but out of Peter himself and the boys. And that makes some nervous because they want it just to be about confession. But as I said yesterday, I call Don Carson to the stand, the great Baptist commentator, who says that will not do when you're looking at the text. That the church of Jesus Christ is really God in real people. You cannot escape that. Now I want to begin by inviting the leaders to listen in particular and you all and giving your reflection to them later. This bit is open for debate and wisdom and correction and throwing in the bin. I believe that I'm supposed to say, and I'll try and get it accurate, if you think of an airport and sometimes you see a concrete block at the end of the runway, it's not super high that you couldn't scale it, but you certainly can't scale it in your own strength. And the block that I'm seeing is, is, looks to me like a kind of grey, no, sorry, brownie-grey concrete. And I believe that what's happening is the Lord is saying to this congregation that you have been walking towards that block. And you can see over the block to where you want to go. And that is good. But you will not get over that block. And so there is coming for you a 90 degree right angle to the right. Not because what you're seeing isn't right, but because God is not taking you there yet because there is more to pick up on the way. And as you take that 90 degree angle, and for some it will feel very sharp, he is saying to you, would you look? Would you allow the eyes of your heart to see what you have seen in the past, but you have passed by because you thought it was trivial? And the Lord is going to allow you to see again, even in the trivial. And the way I'm seeing that for you, you might think it's trivial, is the beauty of the creation along the roadside. Just little things. And the Lord is saying, I think, and this is for you to discern, you have called it trivial or you have wanted to get on with other stuff, but I'm calling you back to see. And in that seeing, you will see something more of my creativity, my creation, and my beauty. This is not to avoid where you are going, but I am taking you another route.
now we come with certainty to the word of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, which is the calling of Matthew. And Matthew places this account of his calling after he has heard something incredible about this Jesus. And this Jesus has come and somebody who was laid low, and in this occasion, Jesus never prays that they get off the mat. But he just looks into the situation and says, your sins are Imagine you believe that. And the man gets up, and he gets up straight. And of course, there's always controversy around the ministry of Jesus. And they say correctly. They get it right. They criticize Jesus because they say this. Who can forgive sins? This man is acting as God. No, he's not. He's not acting as God. And a man who had been put flat out stands up straight. By the way, that's like resurrection. Interesting in the worship this morning. Resurrection is not a complex word. It just means to stand up straight. And this man stands up straight at the word of the Lord. And again, I say to you, the criticism leveled at Jesus is true. Isn't it great when your critics are right? Oh, that went down well. Don't you enjoy criticism? Well, you're going to get some more, so get used to it. Because it's God's way of making you holy. And we like everything about God except when God is God and does what God does. (laughs) And we really hate his timing, but that's another sermon. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Here comes a command. Follow me. Brothers and sisters, nothing's changed. He told that to Matthew, and Matthew what? Got up and followed an idea. A theology. My idea. How I'd like to see it. Followed Nothing's changed. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And they weren't saying, isn't this great? They were looking at the Jesus crew and a bit like the pantomime going, boo. Get used to it. 
on hearing this, because they won't speak to Jesus on this occasion, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's brilliant. But go and learn discipleship, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Ah, yes, Lord, but they don't deserve it. We talk grace, but we're not comfortable with it. Holy Spirit, would you come and open our eyes, our ears, our mouths, everything about us personally and corporately to this living word. Lord, you had it written for purpose. Help us to mind something of this this morning. For we ask it to the glory of God the Father and in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, very often in the ministry of Jesus, it's almost as if, when you're reading into the text, Jesus is just walking along. You don't find a lot of pre-planned stuff. There is one. I must go to Jerusalem. We looked at that yesterday. Got to get there. But so often it just seems as if, and we know God's sovereign, I get all of that, but it seems as if God is just doing his thing and as a result of walking on without any sense of anything else, God does what he does in the everyday, and can I put it like this, the ordinary. And we're afraid of the ordinary because it bores us. But that is where God so often is working, in the ordinary. Why? Because you and I also touch lives that are very ordinary. And if you come with your sparkly testimonies into the ordinary, sometimes it has a wonderful effect, but it can be so discouraging. Because what they're hearing is something like this. God has done that for you, but me? No. And how many have ever been with people and when you talk to them, they say to you, well, I asked him and he didn't for me. And then what you do is, is you excuse God as if God was ever on trial. He never is on trial. He has nothing to prove to you. He's done that. Actually, that isn't proof to you. It's not about you. This is the proof of the love of the Son in obedience to the Father. And who gets the benefit? So the gospel gets twisted on its head. It takes it away from you and puts it back on him. So Jesus moves on from the raising of the man from his paralysis. And he saw a man called Matthew. You know, there's a disease out there called busyness. And we use it to make ourselves look important. Oh, I'm really sorry I didn't get back to you. I was so busy. And what I want to say to people, because 
you know, I'm really sweet and placid, asked Jill. But, but sometimes I want to punch their lights. No, um, correct them in love. What, you think I'm not? See, it's about your busyness. But when you're so busy, you're defending yourself against God. Now, I'm not advocating for laziness, but I know people who are very busy, but in their spirit are thoroughly lazy. Because you don't have to address laziness when you're busy. It's one of the old diseases that comes through the first three centuries of the church. And if you want to read about that, there's a book out there called The Noonday Devil. You can be busy to defend yourself against God. And it's all about you. But Jesus walking along and this one, he sees, he notices. Now I appreciate in our lifestyle we can't always do this. But when you look into the face of somebody in the shop, do you notice the sadness? Can you see the tears? Do you celebrate the joys when they say, Oh, we just did this in my family. And you think, who cares? But actually, they're happy. Let's celebrate too. And I have time to come across to their side rather than, I don't care. Jesus sees. And if we were doing Ephesians, one of the great Ephesian prayers is that the eyes of our hearts, the church's heart, might be opened. And we all know, and Richard was sharing there, we all know how valuable good sight is to us. But to see with the eyes of Jesus, and Jesus can see way beyond that which we see. But he wants to give us that scene because that is the prophetic heart. And the prophetic heart is to see with his eyes and declare what he feels, what he thinks, what he's doing, and the heart of God is being released. And the prophetic heart is not about God is going to bless this, 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 and I'm sick of it. Sorry. (laughs) It's about the release of the heart of God. So here's Matthew. Boo! Because... We have a number of stories intertwining here. One is what happens to Matthew personally. Number two, what is happening within the community? Because Matthew is excluded from his religious community. He probably took himself off, but we don't know that. But there is exclusion, there is alienation. You used to be one of us. You've sold your soul to the Romans. And he had. But listen, we don't know why. We assume he was just a greedy guts. But we don't know that. Maybe there's a backstory to I don't know, so I'm just making you think. Maybe there's a backstory. Maybe there were things that that was the only job he could get. Maybe he was so desperate that he sold his soul in order to get that need met. And you and I don't necessarily know what that kind of desperation is like, but we'll sure judge it when we see it. And then there's going to be a new story 
because Jesus has stepped on the scene, not just taking back to the old, but bringing something better. And God is not just in the business of restoring and redemption. He's in the business of something completely new. And one day, he is not going to make us... You know, there's a big discussion, and we could, I could probably upset you by telling you which side of this debate I fall. There are those that think we're going back to Eden. Personally, I'm not sure. I understand the perfection of the Adamic world. A new heaven and a new earth. Not unconnected, but new. God is in the purpose of the new. So he sees this man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So yes, indeed, he's now working for the Romans, probably extorting. He's got a whole new, by the way, circle of, I'm not going to say friends, but certainly a circle of influence just ready for when he is influenced by Jesus to get hit. You know, there are people I can't speak to, but those who get saved can speak to, and it's great. And by the way, there's just no religious nonsense on them, so they're wonderful. And the language is foul, and it's great. Oh, and that didn't work either. But the point is, we start where people are and where Jesus is, not where we want them to be. Because Jesus didn't start with you where you want you to be, and you're not there yet. So come on, let's cut them some slack. So he looks at Matthew, who's now despised by his religious community. He's turned his back on the people of God, and in fact, in part, is now fleecing them. And he says, uh, absolutely nothing but follow me. He sees him, he looks at him, he says, you, there's something about it. you, you. We sang that this morning in, in one of the hymns too, that you have chosen me. The thing about what was going on in those days was rabbis were chosen by their students. You decided which rabbi you wanted to sit under. It's a bit like going to university today. You might choose your university because you look at the faculty and say, I want to learn under that man. At no point does that happen in the ministry of Jesus. He's the, if you like, the chief rabbi, and he gets to say, you come here. It's all reversed. Because you never chose Jesus. I love that. How weak would that be? He came and got you. In fact, he came and got us. And he comes on this moment and he comes to Matthew and he says something that Matthew in the voice or maybe even in the look of Jesus, I don't know how this happens, but it works somehow in the power of the Spirit. And here it is, two words, follow me, job done. And that is, as we were saying in Sunday school, that is the call of the New Testament. 
And Matthew could have said, where are we going? He could have asked all sorts of questions in the small print. But it's too late because he's heard the call and he stands up. And for some of you, it's just a little bit too late. You can never go back. Hallelujah. You'll try. But I'll tell you what waits on that side. Misery. He who paddles two, commute, two canoes gets very painful when they divide. Think about it. You'll get out over lunch. So the call is in. And the church is going to be built on the foundation of the apostles. But it's the same call to us today. Follow me. Lord, where are we going? And there's silence from heaven. Lord, where are we going? And everything goes dark. Well, God lives in the darkness. Does he not? Well, God, what's all this about? Trust. I'm teaching you faith. Oh, I thought faith was moving mountains. No, faith is believing that I am who I am and living my life in the knowledge that I am who I am is actually I am who he is. And I can't say that again, so you better get it. But that's, that is how it works. And when he stands, everything else drops off. And again, we don't know this, but you see how careful I'm saying, get what is scripture and then think into the rest of it. What if he'd been very successful? I was sitting with Jill coming up here the other day and there's a couple of gentlemen speaking quite loudly in front of us and I thought, shut up. Because they're talking about what it is like to be billionaires. And I'm going, shut up. And part of it, there's a kind of enviousness on it. Sorry, I feel sorry for them, obviously. But part of it is... I did. Because what I heard in the words was emptiness. But let's just assume for a moment we don't know that Matthew was sitting on the plane and talking about how he'd made his billions. I'm exaggerating to make a point. Jesus comes along and says, we're done with that. And sometimes it's the good things, because you and I are sitting here going, give me a billion and I'll show you how good I can do with it. A bit like your lotto tickets that you don't buy. I'm going to certain circles, it's like, eek. But sometimes, in fact, very often, it's the good things, and I know I've said this before, that will stop you going on with God. Even godly good things can stop you moving on with the Lord. Let's build here. Let's put our stakes down here. Let's celebrate here. And there's time for that. There's time for peace. There's time for settlement. But when that settlement takes the place of pilgrimage and not part of the pilgrimage, you've lost it.
Now what then happens is this. So Matthew is now rising to the newness that Jesus is offering. Follow me? And that word's never changed. If you hear nothing else today, Jesus is saying to you, follow me. Covenant life, follow me. Oklahoma church, follow me. It's got nothing else to say in that sense. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. So immediately, and you understand this and you've, you've planned to do it next week. To sit together and to eat is fellowship. And Jesus has now come over into Matthew's pad, presumably paid for by dodgy money. I'm not fussed, by the way. Somebody said to me once, what would you do if the Masons gave you a lot of money? I said, take it. (laughs) Job done. Well, wouldn't you? We get so prissy. But Jesus... And by the way, I didn't say Matthew's house was paid for by ill-gotten gain. I'm just asking questions to make us think into the text. But what we know is, we know this, Jesus says, follow me, and the next thing that Jesus is doing is sitting with Matthew. And everybody in the community knows it. Matthew has been outside his religious community. Jesus is building a new community And his buddies are there, presumably. I think that's in the text. And then the religious experts. Don't be too hard on religious experts. Because actually without them, there would be no Christianity. So the simple Pharisees, that doesn't work. God even used that to keep his traditions alive. When the Pharisees saw this, what? Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. And Jesus is glad to do it. Pass the guacamole. It's the same bowl, or whatever, anyway, you get the point. Jesus is fellowshipping, and he's loving it. And no doubt, the people are loving him. Now, some would have been curious Some would have been, oh, we've got the miracle worker with us. Some would have been, this is the guy who got into trouble for forgiving sins. This is the guy that takes the religious on. They've had all the stories that will lead to Matthew 16. But here's the thing, they're curious. But also they want to be with their buddy. And they don't separate off from him because they'll stay with him because they've been buddies. And sometimes we break up communities that are completely natural and say, well, now you have to do it like this. That's wrong. They see that he eats with tax collectors and sinners. To which I scream... Thank God. Yes. 
And we notice that on this one, they don't have the bottle to go to Jesus, so they ask the disciples, why? See, they get the significance of what's going on in a way that we have to think into. They knew. The enemies knew the significance of the moment. Why? And Jesus overhears this question. And it's so obvious. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Now, from time to time, it's a very good thing to uh, take stock of your life with the Lord. Uh, I don't believe you can do that alone, by the way. You need people around you who will help you, uh, who will question you, who will affirm you in what is good, and who will say no. See, if, if nobody ever tells you no... Yes is meaningless. Mm -hmm. It's completely meaningless. Because I can't trust that yes because I've never been told no. This will be a bit of a stretch for some of you, but in monasticism, <clears throat> and we could talk about this, but just to say this, in monasticism, when there were big decisions to be made in the community, it was often community decisions and then established by the abbot or if it was a male community. But when decisions were thought through and handed down that you didn't like, you assumed it was God. Unless it was illegal, immoral or doctrinally suspect. Because you trusted that as you trusted to that, God would sanctify you and bring the good out of it. But if you never fought, move forward personally, because I don't agree with that, we're stuck. And what you've done there is you've made yourself the arbiter of truth and faith. We've got loads of those around Now, I didn't say to you, don't ask questions. Wisdom in James is always open to argument and questions. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, implication. The enemies of Matthew saw him as sick, and they were healthy. Jesus speaks in and goes, you're wrong. Now, this is the heart of repentance. This is the heart of change your mind. This is the heart of, and by the way, when I use the, repent, the word repentance, I want to draw your attention to the name of a book written by Mother Basilia Schlink, a Lutheran community out in Darmstadt, Germany. She wrote a lovely book with this great title, Repentance, the Joy-Filled Life. You don't do repentance, you live repentance. 
And we don't just do repentance personally, though that is necessary. We do repentance corporately because our mind in Christ needs to be renewed and changed and changed and changed. But of course that means I want to be a disciple and open to learning. Uh Uh-oh. You know, part of the human condition is that we have been built to learn. And the moment you give up learning, I'm not just talking about academics, though my experience is this. Now that I'm wise and old and got gray hair, I'm ready to go learn. I'm serious. There are courses that I wanted nothing to do with in seminary and nothing to do with in university. I wish to God I could go back and take them now. Because you see, then I didn't need them. But now I do. And that's, that's okay because it shows we're learning. And yes, there's regret there and that's okay too. And I probably will never go back. But I acknowledge the fact that there are gaps because in my younger years I made poor decisions. That's okay. Let's just learn to try and move on and do it shall we say this, with a repentant mindset. Remember in Romans, it's always the renewal of your mind corporate by the power of the Spirit. This is a working of the Spirit, but I've got to be open to the Spirit of Christ working in my mind. And then Jesus says this. So, clearly if you're sick, you need a doctor. Forget for a moment evangelism, just for a moment. What is your greatest need at four minutes to twelve on a Sunday morning? And if it's not for Jesus, your needs are out of order. Now I've got a list of needs. And the wonderful thing about needs is if you, if you really want something but you want to be very spiritual in your prayers, you say, oh God, I need this. But what do we really need? And the answer to that you will discover when you look at what it is you can live with and what you can live without. It was the Quakers, very orthodox in their initial gathering. But the Quakers lived a very simplistic life. And they had a saying like this amongst them. You tell me what you want materially and I'll show you how you can live without it. Now... There's loads of things I need. So if you want my need list... But those needs will always be calling on me to feed them. And the interesting thing with gizmos, and this is not an anti-gizmo sermon, because I have friends who've got gizmos. (laughs) But the interesting thing about gizmos is the more gizmos they get, the more there is to go wrong. (laughs) 
And I can prove that to you through one illustration, then we'll get on with the last verse. In our country, if you want a reliable car, go and buy a Mercedes-Benz of 15 years or over. Because they don't have electrics. And you can, if you're so inclined, service your own car. And the engines went on forever. That sounds like an advert for Mercedes. Well, now let's de-advertise them. Because <laughs> the new ones, something goes wrong. You can't get out or in. You're hermetically sealed. You're caught. You're trapped. And you go to the, the get it serviced. And they don't know why. So they just put the things on. Like, I was going to say, it's a bit like the Mercedes you know, cows and udders. I've been in Wisconsin this last week. You kind of plug the thing in and bang, and it comes up with pretty lights. <laughs> but those that want something reliable go back 15 years. Those that want the bells and whistles get two, so that one's nearly always available. <laughs> but that's true in a smaller way in life. So what's our need? Uh, Jesus, I need you. Church of Jesus, together we can say, God, we need you. Here's the unfortunate thing that we were seeing in Sunday school. Unfortunately, the church doesn't need God. And I know I've used this before with you. I'm going to do it again. Dr. Carl Bates, an American, and I have to add a few years every time I say this, must be over 50 years ago now, said, if God took the Holy Spirit out of the church in America, 95% of it would go on anyway. That's terrible. It should stop. Everything should collapse because we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. Well, we've got it all so down. We don't need God. Or do we? I think we're very sick because I'm not sure we even understand our need of God. But go and learn discipleship. Learn it, learn it, learn it. I'm learning it. I haven't got this word. Sometimes I can see it, taste it, grasp it. I want you to learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That comes blasting through the Old Testament. Some of those prophetic passages, Isaiah, etc. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In fact, I'm not listening to you, says the Lord, when you do your stuff because you're doing it with a wrong heart. And you're doing it to impress me, and I'm not. In fact, at times, I'll spit this out of my mouth. I desire mercy. Now, what is mercy? And I think we need to come down on the side of mercy, as some of you have been taught about grace. Mercy is that you get exactly what you don't deserve from God. There was nothing about your life that means you ever deserved mercy. It was his goodness. It was his kindness. It was his love that issued it forth. But don't you think you ever, ever, ever had anything about you to commend yourself to God for it? 
And that's still, and it goes back to our Sunday school this morning, it's still the problem of discipleship because somehow we've sneaked in this little bit in our theology which says, oh God, yeah, I know I was terribly bad and I said bad things and I kicked cats and I did all of this, but really there was something about me. No. There was nothing about you. It's not, I'm sorry, no, I'm not. It's not about you. I don't know what else to tell you. It's not about you. It's about him who comes to you in his mercy. This is better. This is stronger. This is more loving. This is more available than you deserving it. He chose it. And if God has been merciful to you who are on your way to hell, then surely the currency of the church and of his kingdom is to pass it on. Because no amount of the extension of your mercy and mine and our mercy will ever outweigh or come close to the mercy that God's had on you. Get it right. And revel in his merciful love. And when the church faces up to expressing mercy, our rights have gone, our fights go down. Go learn it. And somewhere along the line you'll find people you don't like. Maybe you've never found anybody you don't like. Or maybe that's why you sit in that chair this morning. But learn mercy. Remember where you've come from. You came from a community where you couldn't stand up straight. And God stood you up straight. You didn't. He did. Don't think we need to say that again. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now for us, of course, particularly in the Reformed tradition, and I love the Reformed traditions, we want to talk about now God has made us saints. We're now in a new nature, a new image, etc. But I haven't forgotten where I've come from. Have you? In a few moments, you want to take communion. And Paul instructs us not do this if you feel like it, Remember. And it's not remembering back to think, oh, I bet that hurt Jesus. Ooh, 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 ooh. No, that is part of it. But the meal of the Lord, the meal of his giving of himself to us. God, I thank you for where I came from so that I may live where I now am. This is not looking back so much as allowing the past to come to the present to inspire us to live the day for the future. Oh yeah, we remember. And Paul will also come and say to us out of that, every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, this is action. You, take into the church, 
proclaim. You proclaim what? The Lord's death. You're proclaiming it. This is not your little bit and my little bit. It's our communion in the Lord. We proclaim the Lord's death and then that wonderful biblical word until... Thank God there's an until. Until what? He comes. And then we're in for a communion or rather a big marriage feast of the Lamb. So this morning as we proclaim and remember from the past, we look forward to the future and this now comes into the present. And because God's clever, did you know that? It's all of a piece. This really is a foretaste and this really is from the past and we really are present. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Follow me. And I don't want to overclaim it anyway. But as I was praying for you, follow me. I do think there are individuals this morning, I don't mean in the great conversion sense of coming to faith in Jesus, though that could be true too. But I'm going to invite you, not necessarily even publicly, you certainly can do, or prayer one with another. But I, I, I would urge you to say to God this morning, if in any sense I have laid down followership, just put it right, will you? Could you do that? Then we can get on with it. Does that make sense? Um, and if for some of you, you say, I'd like to do that very publicly, I'm sure we're open to that. I'm not trying to make it easy for you or hard for you, because that's not the issue. The issue is, are we, am I, following Jesus? Well, folks, you're going to find out, because if that prophetic word at the beginning was had any relevance, you're going into a wall, unless you turn right. <laughs>